Hello, and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about D&D, DMing, and everything to do with running the game. Hey! Today, we're talking about dungeon design. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Nathan. Hello, hello. And Willis. Hello. Hey! So, dungeon design. We're going to roll initiative first to see who gets to lead this chat. Five. Eleven. I got a six. Ooh, I win, Nathan. <laughs> I feel like you don't win often, Nathan. It's true. I got to crit like that first episode and then it just stopped happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, so dungeons. So um, this is sort of a big topic, I guess. Like there's a lot of different ways to do this, a lot of different schools of thought. So I guess the sort of uh, first thing I'd, I'd want to ask is, uh, well, when do you guys choose to you know, use dungeons? Like how, how often are you using them and for what purpose are you using them? That is a, a good question. I think, like, I honestly don't use them um, as much as I used to. I've sort of been moving away from them because my group is pretty role-playing orientated. And you can have role-playing moments in dungeons, but, you know, there's more call for them in social situations. Um, but I usually end up throwing a, a dungeon out when they are out of kind of established cities or towns, um, when they're somewhere more exotic, and usually when it's like an individual location right there's a lot of things a dungeon can be uh you know a cave a fortress uh, a mansion even tombs mines if it's kind of like a, a self-contained area that usually leans itself towards being a dungeon um especially if it's something that's going to have dangers in it dangers and obstacles either creatures uh traps puzzles things like that those are all you know, those are all things that you kind of want to see in a dungeon. I, I dig that. I, I I like using dungeons a lot. I think um, I hate making them. So this will be a fun episode <laughs> to talk about because I think like they they're this you know this pillar of the Dungeons and Dragons uh, experience. You know, you get a group of five adventurers go into some deep underground tomb, kill a lich, loot some treasure, take it back up, uh, sell your spoils. That's like, you know, uh, the game's evolved a lot uh, from those early days when that was the game. But, I, I you mm -hmm. know, I feel like it still has this this place here. And I, I love giving my players that opportunity. And I think usually when I make a dungeon, uh, I always start off with the history of it. Like, why is, why is this dungeon here? What was its original purpose? What is it being used for now? And that sort of give, allows me to give it a lot of character as I'm sort of putting it together that so that when the players are in, it's, it's not just, Oh, there's a six by five room and some orcs in it. It sort of <laughs> becomes like, you know, this is, was once a, um, you know, a, a shrine to some ancient God that these orcs have now occupied and are using as like their galley or something. It, it's, it's it, and you can, that, that simple description there allows you to give a lot more, uh, character and stuff to this room like there's makeshift wooden tables scattered around this uh, dark uh, ruined shrine with uh, dread inscriptions upon it and it's just uh, I think uh, that first step alone gives a lot of a uh, lot, lot of things to lean on for the following design yeah 
you you touched on something I super agree with that the sort of the the purpose of a dungeon has completely changed as D and D has evolved over the the years. Like it really was kind of the selling point. I I don't feel like early D and D had a lot of like plot to it apart from it's fun to kill goblins and get treasure. Um, at this point in in five e, especially for how I want to run the game, it's a lot more like plot orientated, and dungeons are sort of like just one of the tools in telling a story rather than the selling point of the whole game at least as far as i'm concerned not that without it isn't like still fun to kill goblins and... oh sure yeah it's fun but i i feel like early D D, like that was kind of i don't want to say all there was to it because i'm sure people would put spins on it but usually i think you went into it with the assumption that goblins are evil let's kill them and it's not really like higher stakes or like higher motivation to other than just like wanting to roll dice and kill things i mean look um, at conan I, I, the barbarian it's sort of that sword and sorcery genre is kind of the origins of where you know D came from uh, and, mm-hmm. uh conan obviously did have a story and characters and all that stuff going on but sort of at the end of the day this is a big buff arnold schwarzenegger going around hacking people apart with a big sword <laughs> And the other thing you said, how, like, it definitely helps to, st- to know the history of your dungeon. Um, you can, I think you can start, you know, from one of two directions, how you want to build a dungeon. Like, you can think of interesting encounters and then figure out a dungeon to justify it. But what I normally do is figure out the history of the area. Like, okay, so what was what was this lich here doing? What was it specifically trying to achieve? And then what are fun things to put in the dungeon that hint towards that goal? So if, if it's a lich is like, I mean, they're already a lich and semi-immortal, right? So maybe they're trying to open up a plate or a plane, excuse me, maybe they're trying to open up a gate to the nine hells. You can throw books around that relate to it, maybe some material components that with good arcane roles the players might know our components to opening up planar gates then like as soon as you know like what the purpose of the dungeon was and the goal of the persons or people that were staying there then you can figure out what to kind of flavor the dungeon with and there there are uh, a lot of really good like real world examples we can go off of with this too i think i mentioned this briefly in another episode but um uh, dungeons and how we think of them in D are not necessarily just a fantasy concept uh the the Great pyramids uh, the ancient Egyptians built were mm. tombs uh, where they buried their their pharaohs, who were their gods. And they buried all sorts of treasure deep within them. And because they understood the idea of grave robbers might show up and desecrate the tomb of their gods, they riddled them with traps, like uh, big stone uh, blocks that would fall on you and cut you off from places and all, all sorts of things. And, and so... Uh, it's a, a a good way to you know start from there. Like we have examples to look on, and like if you like ancient ruins and uh, all these sorts of things, uh, mm-hmm. but they have you know been perhaps in some cases uh, uh, looted and 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 interacted with since we have access to them now. And so uh, you can have plenty of dungeons that are serving their original purpose. Maybe it's fresh, haven't touched. For thousands of years or maybe some that have been uh uh messed with a bit or maybe currently occupied there's a lot a lot of a lot of different ways to go there and when you throw magic into the mix um suddenly things get a lot more interesting when i 
build dungeons, I like to start with uh, a sheet of grid paper and just kind of like sketch, just just start, you know, making rooms and things, because that's the part that I enjoy a lot sometimes, is just like mapping it out, and then like I'll fill, be like, okay, well this room would could, could be this, you know, it's got a good um, indication to be like a, a foyer or something like that, and then depending on the history of it, just start designating rooms and then if I need to get rid of a room or add a room or something like that and then kind of have a, a, a sort of endpoint so that it just it gives them something concrete to go through and I've I've heard a lot of like methodology about uh like the kind of the quantum ogre where you don't do a map for a dungeon I have I don't have a whole lot of experience with this one but where it's just like you describe it, and then I, I know there's a lot of stigma with quantum ogreing people, but how, how do you guys implement that into a dungeon? The quantum ogre thing? Yeah. D- and to clarify, that's the idea that like it, where the ogre is is nebulous, and you can have it always show up in their path because you just wanted them to encounter it? Yeah, basically. Um... I don't know if I do that as much in dungeon design. I definitely like to have a more concrete idea of what the dungeon is. I also will map out mine. And I don't think I've ever had one that's very flexible. I I like doing dungeons that have multiple paths, maybe hidden treasures and rewards they can find, even optional combat encounters. Um, I think just for the way like my brain works, I want to know how everything works and functions within a dungeon and have to be set rules and like know what the creatures are doing and where they're patrolling. Um, because as soon as that becomes flexible, I, I worry about the structure of the dungeon collapsing because dungeons are kind of a, an interesting part of D&D where good intentional railroading, I think, is the most powerful in a dungeon because it is for the most part, like a contained like video game level, pretty much. So I think if you ever were going to implement the good aspects of railroading, it should be in a dungeon. Yeah, I, I agree. It's sort of like it, in open world and sort of the, the overworld, I guess, of D&D, you can put up like a whole world map or a region map and whatnot, but it's really hard to keep track of like the exact position of the party. You're not going to put up this super detailed video game map of your whole setting that's not super feasible. So it, like that's why a lot of the exploration pillar gets a lot of shit in this edition because um, there's just there's the rules there aren't super rigid. But that's I think one of the cool things when dungeons come into play is you do have the freedom to basically set up this exact um, grid based uh, setting for them to explore. Uh, I uh, love using grid based combat, and one of the reasons dungeons are a lot of fun for me is because I don't have to just have a series of random maps that I throw down and put the players on. I could just, in Roll20, map out the whole dungeon and let the players explore it how they see fit. And I think that's a lot of the fun for me is um, that sort of exploration part and that 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 very rigid structure that, that Charles was talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I still think... Like, I could see the advantages of a more uh, sort of improvised dungeon, especially when it comes to puzzles and traps. And I think we touched on this a bit in our, our puzzles and traps episode, like the idea of setting up puzzles with multiple solutions, or at the very least, if they come up with a solution that seems better than what you had, just roll with it. Um, 
so like you know not not when you're running a dungeon it doesn't have to be completely uh unbending to the player's ideas right um but something something i i think about a lot when designing dungeons this is just kind of from you know playing through other people's games i think it's fine to streamline your dungeons to be more um engaging and not necessarily as realistic as possible and what what i mean by that is i know it's tempting to like if you're designing like a mansion or a fortress right where lots of people have lived or maybe even are currently living i think you, there's a temptation to like okay this is the the bedroom right or the quarters where there's a bed for every single person accounted for it. And we got to have four bathrooms because of how many people here. And then they need, they need a rec room. It's like, I, I get kind of exhausted when I'm going through dungeons and there's numerous rooms that are essentially filler rooms. Um, you know, rooms that don't serve any purpose outside of fleshing out the realism of the dungeon. Uh, for me personally, it just gets kind of exhausting to, go to room by room investigate it and find out oh this is a bedroom there are clothes in here okay this is a bathroom there's a toilet in here okay like i I don't know maybe i'm playing it wrong but i i when i design dungeons even if it's something like a bedroom i want to throw in something that hints to a bigger picture so have there be a letter in there that talks about the i don't know the baron's secret love interest and that's a tool you, you could use later or find a bloody knife like even if it's there's no combat or puzzle or trap in the room i would encourage you to throw in something so the rooms don't feel like a waste of time once they've been investigated or you could it's boring to find the the ninth bedroom <laughs> or you could simply sort of block it off one of one of the ways that i do my dungeon design is i will look up floor maps for like cathedrals or um other sort of different interesting structures things that i'm, I'm basing this dungeon off of but um, a cathedral's got a lot of rooms, and I don't have a lot of need for a lot of rooms. So it's an old building. Rocks fall, root blocked off, and that covers these bases. I mean, I like what Charles said earlier about um, dungeons kind of being your video gamey levels. And think about how many games you've played where you're, you know, walking down the street or walking down a hall, and there's a door on your right, and you can't open it. It's because the designers thought there's nothing worth any any of your time in here. So rather than distract the player with meaningless exploration we'll just block it off and they'll be able to find what they're looking for later down the road and use the dungeon master have that power too maybe uh i mean it's you you can't be nearly as obvious i guess because if you just throw a locked door in front of your players then they're gonna be like well there's got to be something interesting (laughs) on the other side so uh, yeah maybe like that i think that's the power of i think older dungeons you can you can block things off naturally and make it seem pretty obvious that there's nothing for them there Unless you have a druid with uh, move earth, and then <laughs> you got to be worried about that. A collapse tunnel is, is definitely a good way of kind of hinting. Don't worry about it too much. And even even if you have someone with move earth, just, I don't know you could have the tunnel collapse a bit further, and then you can even hint that they're weakening the structure of the whole dungeon. Just to kind of like, okay, maybe we shouldn't. We don't need to go that way. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, and then the other option is, of course, you just throw realism out the door and at the window and just corridor dungeon which mm-hmm. it works uh, as long as you're engaging your players and you're um, 
making each of those rooms interesting. They probably won't even think about it. Hey, this doesn't. This isn't really structured like a mansion now, is it? I think also part of it uh, comes from the expectation of your players. If you've got a group of players that are really interested in immersing themselves in the world, a more realistic dungeon would be more worth your time. Whereas if you've got a bunch of players that are super interested in hacking and slashing a bunch of goblins, corridor, you know, you know, corridor heaven, just just build it like a video game level, and let them, you know, f- fill every room with monsters and loot and let them go hog wild. Um, mm-hmm. I think the trick comes from balancing between the two when you have a mixed group, which is more often than not. Yeah, I agree. I just think I think there's a point where realism can detract from the fun if there's nothing to do in certain rooms outside of know that everyone had somewhere to sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and even as like a dungeon master, I find that irritating. Where like it, it, it just it irks at me. I think when I have my dungeon yeah. all written out, I got all my rooms like all right, time to populate things. It's just I have nothing to put in here, and then I then I know that going in. So usually, uh, that's a, that'll be when I cut things. I think it's actually like a pretty simple fix to make these rooms interesting, though. Like if you you know you got a bedroom and you don't know what to do with it, there's a box under the bed with a key in it. That's instantly like, okay. The room had a purpose. We found a key. And maybe they've already found the door it goes to. Maybe they don't know. Either way, they're like, oh, shit, now we now we have this. It's just another... It makes them feel like it was uh, it was worth coming in here and the room had a point. Whereas... Uh, I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> that uh, brings, up, brings me to an interest, interesting thing with dungeon design that you can do. Where I feel sometimes I get uh, a little narrow-minded and boxed into where like a a room uh, like a puzzle room like each room is self-contained but if you do stuff like that you can make the entire dungeon a puzzle where each piece is in a different room and there's multiple puzzles and layers and stuff and instead of each room is its own thing yeah nathan had a, a dungeon design that I, I really liked he's talked about it before where uh, the the main door with the boss behind it they had to get into was at the very start of the dungeon, and then the dungeon itself was designed to be something you had to explore to open that door. And you, if nice. you were if you were smart enough, you didn't even really have to go do that. It's just uh, the more you explored it, the easier that puzzle at the, at the door became. Yeah, I like that a lot. Or like maybe it's about finding a way to weaken the boss behind the door. And that'd be another good Ooh. option. Ooh, that is fun. It only, you know, it it kind of reminds me of um, Breath of the Wild. That's like yep. you, you can go fight Ganon right away, but you know, optimally, if you take down the four guardians, you make Ganon significantly weaker. I kind of like the idea of a dungeon design where you know exact. Maybe it's like a a mummy or a vampire lord, and you know exactly where they are in stasis. You can go fight them right now, but scattered throughout the dungeon are lots of tools that would be useful in the fight i wonder what what do you guys think would be a useful way to like set up the idea that they should go exploring because if you put the you know the vampire coffin right in front of them when they walk in the door how do you hint to them like organically it's worth checking out this dungeon first maybe there's a plaque on the coffin left by the people that sealed the vampire in there you know kind of i think it goes back to the history of the dungeon you know 
Mm. Maybe they watched that vampire uh, kick some great hero's ass just a little bit earlier. And realize, oh, yeah, we don't we don't want to mess with him right now. <laughs> or maybe they, uh, they, they, I like, kind of like the plaque idea, but maybe they found some uh, light reading earlier that indicated this, this creature has some sort of weakness. In yeah. its lair. Oh, yeah, uh, figuring out the history of the dungeon certainly goes a long way in that. The idea I'm having now, after listening to you guys, is what if this vampire was captured by, like, an order of paladins? And they've held this vampire captured, capture, captive for so long because they're trying to figure out a way to kill him. So the the entire dungeon is littered with experiments of them like trying holy water. Ah, oh, that didn't really work. It only kind of weakened him. Stakes? Nope, that's a myth. Running water? That's a myth. <laughs> Fuck. Like just all these experiments, like trying to figure out how to kill this vampire. And I kind of like the idea that the vampire is like maybe not even sleeping. He's like scenting it the whole time and like mocking the party. <laughs> like I'm, he's just I'm, totally awake and fucking with them. I I'm, I have a the uh, just had a great thought about like they they walk into a room and all they see in this room is uh, it's it's divided in half and uh, by by a wall with with a single door in it and uh, just on the other side of the door they see like the uh, the, the the arch the door is off its hinges and just blood all over the floor, <laughs> indicating they oh, wanted like to that. see if uh, uh, the invitation was was real or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nope, that's a myth. And then, yeah, there's notes that just say, nope, that's a myth. <laughs> the invitation thing is not real. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, like, just brainstorming this, like, I, I think sh- demonstrates how how vital understanding the history of the dungeon is to designing the dungeon. Because mm-hmm. there's so many places we can take this concept of a captive vampire and people trying to figure out how to kill it. Um... It, it, you know the i was looking in the the dungeon master's guide to see what they said about dungeons and there's like three pages and mm. i don't know if you guys looked but pretty much all the content are charts for rolling for dungeons and it's like what yeah. is it what what is the dungeon is it a cave is it a fortress okay who's in the dungeon is it cultists is it goblins and like th- there's a lot of useful tools in the dmg but i was so disappointed with that it doesn't really talk about like the concept of a dungeon the history of a dungeon it's just like Uh roll to see what is dungeon it just feels so formulaic and boring well and i (laughs) I, think i think part of that comes from the fact that dungeons are so like um you need to have a reason for the players to go into the dungeon and it's 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 hard for Mm -hmm. the the dungeon the dmg to cover stuff like that where it's because it's all situational so they're they're just like here's how to build a random dungeon and that can be fun because if you end up with like a um a fortress filled with um uh trying to think of an idea here uh yeah then it's like why are they in there and then that gives you another fun spin that you can work into your story i think it's the sort of situation where it's like if you're just completely at a loss that could be a place yeah. to start and find inspiration. That's fair. Um, and that's actually something I was going to bring up is uh, the purpose of a dungeon is very important for like how you build it. Like if, if the purpose is to find a MacGuffin or kill a boss, then you've got a pretty good, like straightforward. You've got to get from point a to point b um 
Whereas if you've got like a a dungeon where you've got to escort survivors through it or out of it, all of a sudden you're thinking about the dungeon changes a lot. You know, you go, oh, what route do we take out? All of a sudden those empty rooms have a little bit more meaning because maybe they could hide the survivors in there and let a patrol pass by or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Justifying and like setting up why the players want to come here is obviously a pretty vital part. And the purpose of the dungeon could be uh, like we we keep bringing it up um, different than what its original purpose is, and that could influence some drama as well. Like you you uh, maybe the the reason that your players are in the dungeon right now is that previous one previous example you know kill kill an enemy there, but maybe that that particular uh, boss that's chilling there doesn't know what the dungeon was there for. He's just like oh cool fortress I'll I'll take this. I recently had a dungeon. It was the same one that Charles was talking about a bit ago with the. Uh, riddle door that they started in front of the original purpose of that um, temple was to secure a relic it was to hide it and prevent others from finding it and the boss that occupied it at that time didn't know it was there the players didn't find it but the npc that they were helping clear out the dungeon for knew it was there oh. so uh, that that sort of gave the players an interesting uh, encounter and fun dungeon to do and it allowed me to progress the plot because now a certain NPC has access to items that maybe he shouldn't have. I yeah, I, I like um I like dungeons being so old that they are no longer really being used for their original purpose. I it's kind of a tropey maybe, but I love it. The idea that like I've used it a lot. Um like it used to be an old fortress but was eventually abandoned and now goblins live here. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to set up like the personality of the dungeon itself, because maybe like the party walks into the main room, like the first room, and they see a goblin skewered to a wall by some trap. That immediately <laughs> sets up the idea that like, okay, this place is going to be dangerous, and there are goblins here, and maybe, maybe they're just so dumb that they're being killed by their own traps, or maybe the goblins aren't supposed to be here. Like, I think that alone sets up so many hints as to what's going on in this dungeon and what you can expect yeah something that i like to do is mixing dungeon themes where um it's it's easy to have a dungeon that's just a fortress or just a cave and one of the most i think um used examples is like a a cave that goes into carved stonework you know like it goes from being a cave to being um a fortress like it's an underground uh um, passageway or something like that but mm-hmm. mixing other things in to like maybe the cave opens up into a um grotto and there's a lot of trees and all of, all of a sudden a big open space here that you can see the sky and suddenly you know players aren't expecting to to have no ceiling above their head and stuff like that yeah I like that. The idea, it kind of like keeps them on their toes mm-hmm. if the actual like layout of the dungeon is not changing, but different to what they expected. More varied. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with the five room design idea for dungeons? Vaguely. I don't, oh, sh- I don't believe so. Uh, it's, it's a pretty like prevalent um, tool I've seen used for dungeon design and something I at least keep in my back pocket for the most part. The idea is that dungeons need five rooms 
Um, and that's, you know, right off the bat, that's kind of a flexible rule because you can, you can stretch it to 15. You can, you can have it be three rooms. But the idea is that there's five kind of things you want to set up in a dungeon. First of all, you want your entrance, um, which can have like a kind of a guardian aspect to it and it doesn't have to be like a you know a big stone guardian that's blocking the door but the idea that there's some reason this is not a heavily populated area and that could be something as simple as it's remote it's out in the desert somewhere but it could be a a sealed entrance that you need to know a certain word to get through it could literally be a big stone giant some reason why there aren't a lot of people here um, and your entrance is also like I kind of touched on it before. It's a good place to set up your themes and tone for the dungeon. So, because that that first room is going to be their first impression, right? So, do you want do you want to start talking about the the goblin pinned to a wall, or is there going to be a sinister green slime trail that leads deeper into it? Like, there's so many things you can set up as hints from the get go. Um, and then, you know, uh, you're either, you want to have like a, a puzzle or role-playing moment. Um, the idea here is that there should at least be something in the dungeon that can't be solved with brute force and smacking it with a sword. Because combat's fun, but you want to push your players to have to be more creative with their problem solving. Um, and then a setback for the third room. Um, the idea that and this is easy to tie into like an overarching plot or the reason they're in the dungeon. A setback would be like, oh, the item you came here to recover is broken or a fake, like someone already took it and there's a fake in its place. And it's kind of a twist to their expectation for the dungeon. Uh, room four is a boss fight where, you know, this is more um, a more straightforward combat encounter where you actually can smack something with your sword. Other room five is your reward or your treasure. Um, you want your players to feel rewarded for going through your dungeon and dealing with your bullshit. And obviously, like, all these rules are flexible, and their order is flexible. Um, your reward can be earlier than the boss fight. It can be the first room. You can find a sword right away that helps you fight the boss. Uh, then you just have to get out with it. Yeah, yeah. And and you can, like, even mix rooms together, puzzles and combats together. You can have your your boss fight and puzzle be the same room and again and you can always stretch these out and add new elements but the idea is that these are like the five basic things you want to throw into a dungeon to make it feel varied i like that a lot that's it gives a lot of uh, i i feel like a lot of the time you know a dm will go and think all right i gotta put five combat encounters in this dungeon one of them's got to be a boss fight and then i put a pile of treasure at the end but i think um you know, that, that'll get old quick, and uh, traps and puzzles will definitely help alleviate that a little bit. But I, I think the setback one was the one that I th thought was the most interesting, because it's sort of, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it makes the dungeon more than just, all right, let's go to this room, solve this problem, move this room, solve this problem. It becomes, and then you get to this room, it's like, oh shit, that's new. Um, uh, and that, that sort of, that'll keep your players on their toes, and... Uh, it's also a great, well, the setback element is also a great way to set up the next step for the campaign. So if they find out that the the artifact they're looking for is missing, maybe whoever took it is so egotistical that they wrote a fuck you note and left it there. And now they, you know, maybe they signed their initials. Maybe they 
the parchment is something that can only be found in a certain city. Um, some clue that gives them another thing to look into. And the, um, the, I think the, the thing you want to keep in mind with your setbacks, it's fun to throw a twist at them, but don't make it be a total waste of time. So still have some element of a reward. Even if it's unrelated to what they're originally there for, throw in a nice sword they find or some, some magic armor. You know, just doesn't have to be crazy, but make it worth their while to have gone through this dungeon. Yeah, it, it like I, I like the part about the note because on one hand, yes, they didn't find what they're looking for, but they have a lead to go to next. If they hadn't come into mm. the dungeon, they wouldn't know anything about the person who has the item. So I think that's, that's yeah. a good way to do it, to, you know, screw them over in a fun way. You know, something that you said earlier, Charles, got me kind of thinking. Um, and you were talking about how the entrance, as a way to explain why a dungeon isn't heavily populated. And something that I like to do in a lot of different things is anytime somebody tells me a rule about something, I... It's almost impulsive. My mind instantly starts thinking of ways to subvert that kind of <laughs> like so like looking up different like um, dungeon rules or dungeon cliches maybe is more easy um, and just look at these things and start start thinking how can I subvert it like dungeons are usually you know deserted except for hostile inhabitants and then maybe your dungeon is a crowded marketplace where there's a ton of people and just like start thinking of ways to how you can make that work and maybe you don't end up with a dungeon that's a crowded marketplace but that initial thought process leads you to a really interesting original idea for a dungeon yeah no you're totally right break all the rules <laughs> There's um there's a dungeon you might like Willis. I I try to struggle uh, to remember the name of the dungeon, but it's in Waterdeep. Um there's in in Waterdeep is this big old city. There's a tavern that has this huge entrance to a dungeon in it. Mm -hmm. And the Yawning Portal. Thank you. That's yes, what it is. I I've I've actually uh, the group that I played for very briefly. Um I was we we started in the Yawning Portal. I like that. For, for those listening who might not know, the Yawning Portal is this huge mega dungeon underneath a tavern in the city of Waterdeep, and the owners of the tavern charge adventurers to go down there. And I think they also charge to come back up. Yep. Which is, which is amusing because I kind of like the idea of maybe broke adventurers spending their last coin to go down in the hopes they find enough to come back up. <laughs> but th that is like a fun, a fun twist on the idea that dungeons aren't populated it's like a tourist attraction pretty mm -hmm. much and there's there's so many fun things you can throw in of like you could there's i'm sure there's lots of dead adventurers down there lots of gear to find down there um you could come across other adventurers in in peril and choose if you want to help them or not um you could yep. find adventurers who are down there to screw over other people that come down like you're totally right realist as soon as you know the normal dungeons are kind of like desolate except for you and the monsters um, but the idea that there's other people down there, or a lot of people, is actually a fun thing to work with. Well, at, at, at the same time, though, uh, that dungeon still has a guardian. It still has that first room. It's the innkeeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pay me. That's... Yeah. Um... It's, a, it's a small guardian, but it, it <laughs> is a a reason why not everyone's going down there. And even then, like I think the fact that it's 
clearly dangerous is in itself a bit of a a bit of a gate. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the Yawning Portal also brings me to something that I feel like we should talk about, and that's Mega Dungeons. Ooh. I, I've never, like, I've never been a part of a Mega Dungeon or ran a Mega Dungeon, but the whole idea of a Mega Dungeon just really intrigues me. The idea that, like, you could fit an entire campaign or at least several sessions into just this sprawling dungeon that, that maybe they even have to come back to because they're in there for so long and then they hit a roadblock that they've got to come out. And just, I, I love the idea of sprawling dungeons that are massive. I, I don't have a whole lot of experience making them, but I have run a couple. Um, and they're, they're, they can be fun. You need to have the right group for them, though. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think... like you, you did Sunless Citadel with us, yeah. I ran the Sunless Citadel with you guys, and a long time ago I ran Tomb of Horrors poorly. Uh, would love to give <laughs> that one a go again. Uh, it, it's just... It, I'm the, in. Alrighty. <laughs> Make a few character sheets. Yeah, you're going to need... You're going to need many... It's just sort of I I like the games I like to run involve a lot more uh, role play and politics and exploration and um, running a mega dungeon still has a bit of that exploration part but I just I feel like I am missing out on some of the other parts of the game where I love that I love uh, and you but... can put intrigue and role play in a dungeon mm-hmm. but it's uh, I don't know it, it 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 I think takes away from what I'm looking for in it. I agree, Nathan. It, um, I, I think Mega Dungeons could be fun to like tap into this idea of like survival elements um, of a game um, and isolation and even like claustrophobia. But I I don't want to. Sp- I don't know. It does. It's not super appealing for me to spend that long in a dungeon. Um, just I don't know. I, I guess I would just want varied environments. And again, I, I suppose you could make a dungeon varied. I think the Yawning Portal. Like there, it has lots and lots of layers, and they're all pretty thematically different. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a claustrophobic person in real life, and I don't like the idea of being in a dungeon for that long. Yeah, and that, well, that's part of the thing with a mega dungeon is that you can make them big enough to house. Like there could be a city in the mega dungeon, and there could be multiple factions in the mega dungeon, and then you know there could be multiple environments in the mega dungeon. Like that. That's what I like about the idea because again i haven't you know really had that much experience with them but they're so big that you have a lot more room to do stuff with them than you do in like a typical um a to b you know dungeon i almost i kind of i feel like if you have a, a city in your dungeon i don't know if it's a dungeon anymore i i feel like that, that's almost too big um, and I, I don't know if you meant populated or unpopulated city, but I feel like either way, like it, it's that's so wide, such such a large area that it I don't know. To me, it doesn't feel very self-contained anymore, and so, it's it's a lot harder to have themes and like a a sense of progression in dungeon solving or delving if it's that large. I guess my big thing is that like. Um, uh, like I was talking about earlier with dungeons, when I when I make them, I try and keep uh, some some rigidity to it. I have very it, it ends up being very strictly confined. Whereas if you know you go back and listen to the uh, world building episode we did, 
long, long time ago that I have like basically the exact opposite philosophy for building a world. I'll have some key specific information that I need to know, but then the rest of it is just all I need to do is be able to infer um, the, the answer to the question. The reason for that is because there's so much world, I don't want to be able to have to know literally everything about it. And I think that's probably what scares me about a mega dungeon is it has the key parts of a dungeon where mm -hmm. I would want to know everything exactly what's going on so I can react appropriately. But it's closer to the size of, um, you know, a, a city or a region in my setting where it's like I, I phys cannot physically know this information. And it just creates this, this misbalance where I either don't know enough about my dungeon to run it or I have to spend hours upon hours upon hours of prep to make it work. <laughs> so that, that may be why that I'm not ter too terribly comfortable with, with the dungeon situation, the mega dungeon situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe that's just because dungeon building for me is something that I love and tackling a month, multi-month even long process of building this insanely large dungeon that isn't even fully fleshed out but kind of mapped out at least is something that's appealing to me yeah i say go for it i uh, like i said at the beginning of the episode i hate designing dungeons uh i just like <laughs> running them uh so like if, but if, if that's something you enjoy doing then your players are gonna love it yeah, yeah. Nathan, i think you i think I, i'm almost on the same level as you nathan we're like if i was making a mega dungeon i'd feel inclined to design every tile of a city side dungeon, and that sounds horrible. <laughs> I, I don't. I think if I was to run a mega dungeon, it would it would lean more towards my improv side, and I would just have a a, a large like a general idea of why why it's here and what it was for, and then fill in the gaps as I play, as I run the game. Yeah, I'll let I'll let, I'll leave the mega dungeon designs for the uh, people that like that. I'll just I'll just yeah. borrow them and. So you could even think of a mega dungeon in a, a more nebulous way too, where it's like, I I think some arguments could be made that the Underdark is a mega dungeon, but it's so not. That's what you, I thought of the, when you were talking about underground cities. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, you know it's something that like, if you don't map out the the um, mega dungeon fully, like you kind of get to the point where it's it's sort of just like you're running smaller contained dungeons in a quote-unquote mega dungeon. Um, and then I think the lines between, you know, between the two get a little bit blurred. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I would definitely hesitate to call the Underdark a dungeon. I think, like, because we, we um, we're compared it to, like, video game design, video game mm -hmm. level design. I think if I'm exploring a dungeon as a player, there's an inclination to want to explore a hundred percent of it, right? To go like to find every room, to find every treasure, and I feel like a dungeon is the, is the perfect setup for that. And pretty much all other aspects of D and D, I'm not like a completionist. You know, I don't try to get the optimal dialogue and pass every check because that's just not going to happen in D and D. But in a dungeon, I feel more compelled to because I think there's this idea that it's self, it's contained, and it's an an area that you can go through and get everything and come back out. Um, I, I want to pick your your brain more about like how the Underdark uh could be run as a dungeon. I guess if you if you set up um kind of 
a oh god let me think about this for a second different like mega areas and then the points between and then the way you map it out is that you just kind of have like a uh what do you call it just kind of like cut and paste things that you can put anywhere and just like puzzle pieces proceed to regenerate your dungeon yeah yeah and as as they get to them you do that and then if an area is like oh i don't need that like it 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 leans more heavily on the improv side which is why you guys were saying you don't like uh or what you guys don't like to do in dungeons i feel like uh but you if you can you know fly by the seat of your pants and do this sort of thing it's it it i feel like helps players feel like they're in a big world that where am i going with this no i think you know what you mean it, it taps more into the exploration pillar of dnd mm-hmm. um, with an area that big with not as rigidly designed areas it, i think it's definitely a good way to tap into this idea that they are exploring somewhere unnew and you could see anything around the corner it's definitely like where I would be more interested in trying to improvise a dungeon-like element. Hey, so speaking of mega areas and just like larger areas in general, something we haven't touched on, which I think is a really important point for dungeon design, is patrolling enemies. Because mm. if you throw a combat at your party and they get pretty dinged up and they don't feel like there's a sense of danger, there, there's probably an inclination to take... A short rest and just you know the warlock gets his spells back you can use some hit die and heal up but depending on how you're feeling first of all i want to say i think it's fine to like occasionally let your party rest but if they are in the middle of a perilous dungeon and there are act there are sentient things in the dungeon they're not just sitting in in rooms picking their noses waiting for the party to come in and kill them and this kind of goes back to the general dun- dungeon design like who is in this dungeon what are they doing not only what are their like grand goals in general, what are they doing today? Like, they're like I said, they're not all sitting in their rooms. So I think you're totally justified in having a couple of bugbears come strolling into the room that your party has been napping in for half an hour. It just keeps them on their toes and makes them. You don't want to feel like let your party feel like they can lounge wherever they want, and certainly not in the middle of a dungeon. It's a little weird if they can just. take camp in the middle of a dungeon before they've cleared it so um my thoughts on this and i i think i've heard a term used to describe the patrolling guards as like a wandering monster mechanic where they just move Mm -hmm. throughout the dungeon and whenever your players stop for too long it just happens to stumble into their area at that time um and that's certainly one way to um raise the stakes i guess for players taking a, a short rest but I've also heard of other other methods of doing it where um, they they take a short rest and maybe they don't um, you know a monster doesn't stumble in, but the bad guy at the end of the dungeon has more time to uh, prepare and he calls in reinforcements that are now at the beginning of the dungeon, or he does a ritual that strengthens him, or he leaves and now the <laughs> players have to go track him down. The, the one thing I would add to that is if you are going to 
punish them for resting, I think you you need to hint from the get go that that's a possibility. So if they have them like if they're rushing to the dungeon to stop a ritual and then they just wait for half an hour, then yeah, that's on them. But if they had no mm-hmm. way of knowing he was doing a ritual, it I it can feel kind of um, mean spirited. Usually when I for this I I don't I guess employ the wandering monster all that much. The dungeons I design aren't terribly big, and I. Um, you know, I know, I know, I that I know that players are stupid and they wouldn't catch this. Like in my heart, I feel like if I threw in just a like if I took a side deck of of monsters and threw them in the dungeon to attack them with with a patrol, they'd go explore later. And it's like, where did this these monsters come from? And uh, that hurts me in my soul. So usually, what I do is I'll pull monsters from other rooms. Like in a dungeon I ran a while ago, they fought a mini boss halfway through, and uh, that that guy got away, and they took a rest in that room. So, uh, for the, the, their watches, uh, I, during each watch, I just had the, uh, that guy grab some monsters from another room and say, Hey, there are adventures over there. We're going to go gank them. And so each watch, <laughs> they had a chance to try and detect, uh, these monsters setting up for their ambush. And then at the third watch, let's, let's go fight. Uh, and that was, that was interesting because some of them did get the rest because it was the last watch. Um, it just, the, uh, but uh then when they you know inevitably did this fight at the end of it uh another room had been cleared basically so it was like kind of a mixed blessing for them one they got ganked uh but two they uh they didn't have to deal with that room later i like that and that mm-hmm. also sort of lends sort of more to the idea that you know this this dungeon is this pre-existing thing not this thing that the dungeon master randomly thought of and then threw some monsters that previously <laughs> didn't exist at them yeah, definitely should put. You should be putting thought into like the dungeon, almost as a, a, a living entity on its own. Like, I mean, the area obviously things are going to be happening and changing, regardless of whether or not the party engage with it, right? So, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was tapping on before with the idea of like, don't always just let them take a nap somewhere. Things still are going to happen. I mean, that's general D and D design anyway. If they ignore the necromancer who's accruing power in another town. He's not just going to wait for them to be ready. He's, his plans are still going to be happening. That uh, You did say something that actually... Uh, think of the dungeon as a living entity. It's something that I've always wanted to run, is a living dungeon <laughs> where like, they get swallowed by a giant tarasque or something, and all the, the dungeon is fighting their way out of this uh, massive beast. I've wanted to do that, it's, too. Instead of dungeons and dragons, it's dungeons in dragons. I've I've had a similar idea where like they're exploring this this really warm moist cave and they find these weird tall pillars that are white and they're like oh that's a bone oh where are we (laughs) like they literally walk into the mouth of the dungeon and it's just a mouth (laughs) I, I think like stalactites up there. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't I haven't quite run it because I haven't found a good way to justify it, but I did have a similar idea, Willis, of the, it being like this huge open cave mouth, and they only later realized it's literally, literally a mouth. It's very like you know, it's Star Wars, whatever that fucking asteroid thing they flew into. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that's that's fun. Ugh. Um, something kind of minor. I was thinking about when prepping for this episode is the power of a locked door. Mm. And I think, 
I know it seems like a simple thing, but there's so much built-in intrigue to a locked door. I think just because the the power of the unknown is such a powerful thing. You can use it for fear, for intrigue, for just, I don't know, mystery in general. As soon as there's a locked door in front of the players, they want to know what's behind it, and there's so many ways to go from there. You can put scratch marks on the door. You can have weird sounds being coming like coming from the room behind it there could be something leaking out from underneath it mimic door uh, (laughs) mimic door (laughs) i i know i know it seems simple but there's so many ways you can use because i mean doors are mechanically speaking they're a barrier right but i think it's fun to flavor your your barriers something i've used a lot which i always like um and it um is (laughs) A, the idea is this usually works in like a, a wizard's lair or tower or something like that. Behind the door is a very, very tiny room, like five by five maybe, that a slime, a gelatinous cube has been forced into. And it's kind of like very small. It's been squished into this very, very tiny room. And if the doors or if the players examine the door, it is buckling from the weight of something from inside the room. The door is kind of like bent outward and i like that just because it encourages players to be like kind of examining their environments and gives them a hint that maybe we can skip this door or maybe we should be at least cautious in opening it because as soon as they do it springs out like the pressure of, of being released just forces it out into the like the next two squares immediately engulfing someone if they're there Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I like even just like a, a just a errant blood splatter or scorch mark can tell the players give the players a whole lot of information. Maybe not exactly what's going on, but uh, you know imply some potential threat. I had a dungeon a while ago where I mm-hmm. had a, a treasure room, and treasure rooms are I could get to that later. Just a lot of fun. Um, basically, just dangerous rooms uh, that give a lot of loot, wholly optional. And the whole thing with it is there's this armory and this old fort that these these orcs had occupied. And on the there's just a sign on the front of the door that said, um, "Go away," or it was like, <laughs> uh, and then the when the players opened the door, uh, they just they found this fully stocked, untouched armory just full of full of goods, but the floor was covered in blood. <laughs> and I remember the the one player that could read Orcish read that do- read that uh, note, laughed, opened the door, saw the blood, and closed the door and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mm. I'm good. So don't dead open inside. Exactly. And it's just those, I, I like those, a lot, a lot of character and a lot of uh, you know information can just be provided just with simple things like that. Yeah, I I think like on I don't know if you got lucky or unlucky with that player. I I feel like most parties there's going to be at least someone who's like no 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 we can work with this <laughs> we can figure out what's going on here like I, I think i'd be tempted to like throw a heavy stone on the floor see if it triggers a pressure plate or something and like there's got to be a way to get this gold man some i listen when? i know i know someone was clearly <laughs> exploded in here but we're better than that uh one one player later did actually step into the room and the minute he did oh, every yeah. single sword on the racks <laughs> levitated up and pointed towards him and then he, he did the same thing. He stepped out and closed the door. <laughs> that's, I like that. Um, that's something else about... This was probably better placed in the Traps episode, but um, sort of uh, 
a quantum trap where you have a dead body that's scorched in the middle of the floor. Just some indication that something has happened here that's dangerous. And then mm-hmm. whatever the players do to try and find the trap, like like maybe you didn't plan for any pressure plates in that room, but the minute Charles throws a rock into the room to trigger a pressure plate, all of a sudden there's a pressure plate in there. And maybe that's not the whole trap, but just like build off of what your players are expecting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do that that stuff a lot. Like, oh, I didn't think about that, but now there mm-hmm. is. <laughs> and then that makes your players feel like they're outwitting you, which is part of the fun for the players. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, you got me. There was totally a pressure plate in there. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you are quickly jotting down pressure plate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think dungeons are also a... Uh, an easy way to set up the personality of whoever was running said dungeon mm-hmm. especially if it's going to if it's meant to be a prominent figure in your campaign like if they're if they're breaking into the mansion of some mayor they are trying to get dirt on or they suspect has nefarious plans it's a good time to throw in a secret lever that opens up to a torture chamber like love me I don't... a good torture chamber <laughs> Dungeons are a great place for environmental storytelling as well, because it'd be one thing to have them, I don't know, someone, they're talking to an ally and goes, yeah, the Baron loves to torture people. It's like, okay, he tortures people, check. But a stronger way to give them that evidence is them finding this lever. They go, what the fuck does this do? They pull it. It opens up a bookshelf. Like, what the fuck is this? They go inside and there's a torture chamber. They're like, oh, oh, to, to me, that's so much more powerful than being mm-hmm. infor- informed. Yeah, and that's... They, uh, they did it themselves. That's something that uh, players... When you give the players something through an NPC, it very much feels like it's coming from the DM. And I don't know if mm-hmm. it's just because, like, we gotta play the NPCs and the NPCs are, for the most part, sentient, like DMs. But when they find something, even though it's pretty much the same instance of us handing them the things, it feels different. It feels like they earned it, you know? Yeah. Like they they found it. It, it kind of removes the DM from it a little bit, I feel like. There's definitely been times where I've had to, like, scramble and just give you guys information that it seemed like you were going to miss. I know, like, in that hag arc you uh, boris did his usual usual belligerent thing and got Mm. kicked out of her home and i was like well shit now they don't have like this key information that i wanted them to have so guess what a drunk (laughs) homeless guy stumbles past and is really really loose-lipped about everything going on here yeah (laughs) not ideal but i mean that was probably just bad planning on my part for not thinking about the routes at the during prep time well and it was it's sort of a, on us as players because I feel like he was he was doing that and that, uh, the rest of us didn't really step up to um, mitigate that as much as we maybe should have. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure he would have yeah, yeah. been he he would have leaned into that if there was somebody that was like um, doing that. And I th- I think part of it was at that point I was still a little new, but dungeons. 
are fun. You know, <laughs> we haven't dungeons. talked about a whole lot yet. Mm. Treasure. Mm. I think yeah. that, I mean, uh, going by that five room thing, uh, treasure's a whole fifth of uh, the important part of the dungeon. The reward that your party's getting could be, of course, you know, the, the plot reward, the MacGuffin they're looking for, the defeat of an enemy. But man, getting magic swords and gold is real fun. Uh, yeah, like you know, I would love to get some gold at some point in this campaign, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> You're a robot, you don't need it. <laughs> How do you, so, like, there there are a couple schools of thought I usually go for. Like, I see a lot of time DMs will just throw the treasure, you know, end of the dungeon, just big pile there. Uh, I, uh, I like to, you know, roll my horde uh, from the DMG and then just sort of spread it throughout the dungeon, which gives mm. me a lot of, uh, you know, Charles was mentioning earlier about we don't want to uh, uh, leave empty rooms. Well, I rolled a magic sword and 250 gold in my horde. Let's just put that sword and 50 of the gold in this room, and there we go. It's done. Yeah, and something that sometimes I've felt kind of weird is when you're in a dungeon and you you kill the monsters, and then you get to the end and you get the magic sword, and it's like, why, the, why weren't the monsters using the magic sword? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> So there's a plus three sword in the chest and no one's uh, using it. Yeah. Giving your monsters the magic items. And that's something that, um, I don't know if you meant for this to be a magic item or not, but that, uh, that magic, uh, conch that I got in that from that, uh, mer person or whatever in your campaign, Charles, that, uh, mm-hmm. if, if the enemies have a magic item, like, unless it's one of those magic items, that's very situational, which a lot of them are, they're probably going to be using it, so give it to them, and then the players get to take a magic item from somebody like that. Yeah. Sometimes it feels better to loot a, a you know a better sword from a dead body than it is to just find it in a pile of gold. I think that's fun anyway because it's that's a good place to set up the um the uses of these weapons, like that conch yeah. you guys had. The person was controlling a dragon turtle with it. <laughs> yeah. So so obviously you're gonna have some interest in taking that yourself. It's it's just a fun way to like threaten the, the players with it and they can see how powerful this item is, and they're like, ooh, I got that now. Hey, I think that's probably an episode, folks. Some final thoughts from me? Uh just recapping my thoughts, I guess. Um Remember that five-room design, entrance, puzzle, setback, boss fight, reward. And also keep in mind the history of the dungeon, why it's here, what its purpose was, and what it's been used for now. Same for the creatures. Remember that your creatures are doing things and not just waiting in rooms to be killed. What about y'all? They Sort of the basic same thing. Your, uh, your dungeon had a purpose, and it mm-hmm. has probably has a different one now. Um, keep that in mind, and I'll use that to build the character or the uh the personality of your dungeon yeah mm-hmm. and dungeons can be a powerful tool to move the story forward absolutely hell yeah all right good shit next week we're gonna be back talking about when to call for uh die rolls I think it's what we settled on <laughs> something like that the, it's, i guess dice etiquette was the word that we've we've been using internally we'll see if that's I thought you didn't I thought you didn't like that. I don't like it, but it's it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's 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 still like it's a concept rather than a sentence, I guess. I don't know. Something. This is true. I'm we'll I'm wildly about... inconsistent. 
<laughs> we'll be talking about the little things with numbers on them. When to when die. Should... <laughs> how to die? Yeah, how to die. Please <laughs> tell me the answer. I want to know. God, please. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. See you. Bye. Bye.